ask you to turn to Hebrews chapter 2. What do we read in Hebrews chapter 2 in these first verses? Well, we read this, that we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard. Do you remember how the book opened? God spoke to our fathers in time past, different ways, different times through the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son. So we must pay more careful attention. We've heard from the son so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and we'll think about what that message was and how binding it was, if the message spoken by angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Now I want you to imagine because this is what the writer of these verses imagines I want you to imagine that you suddenly are informed that you are living or standing in the path of a serious flood. Our news screens are filled, aren't they, with uh, pictures of natural disasters, fires and floods recently in Germany. Sudden floods sweeping away buildings, and uh, other kinds of property, just pushing cars and vans and lorries and everything along the road. And I want you to imagine, what would you be preoccupied with if you were told, we're about to be flooded? You'd be preoccupied with this. How shall I escape? And that's exactly the picture that this writer, this fantastically imaginative writer, read the book of Hebrews, his mind is just buzzing with pictures all the time. And this is the picture that he draws here. He says, we must give the more earnest attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Now, that's weak. That's a weak translation. We do not drift away. You know, we like to drift away, don't we? We like to drift off to sleep and all that kind of thing. There's nothing very alarming about drifting. Well, he's not talking about drifting. He's talking about being overcome. He's talking about being carried away on floodwaters. And what he's saying is, if you don't listen, if you don't read this book, and if you don't listen carefully to what it says, and if you don't do what it says, That's exactly what's going to happen to you. You're captaining something far more valuable than the Torrey Canyon that drifted onto the rocks or even powered itself onto the rocks. You're captaining your own soul. A charge to keep, I have. A God to glorify. A never dying soul to save and fit it for the sky. And there is only one way to do that. 
And this is the picture that is set before us in these verses. That in life, there are lots of adverse circumstances. There are lots of things that people will tell you to believe. There are lots of things that people will tell you to do that you should only do if there was no God. But God is real. There's not a God. There is God. And he is real. And if he says this is how you should live and you say, well, this is how I'm going to live, you will be carried away. You will be carried away in life. Things will go badly wrong for you. And you will be carried away in judgment when God comes to judge the world. And this is the picture here. Don't get lulled into a sort of sense of this isn't very important by the phrase drift away. That's not actually what should be here at all. So what would you do if you were in that situation? Suddenly you heard Basildon was going to be flooded or where your house is was going to be flooded. Well, you could do all sorts of things, couldn't you? The Basildon Council could start erecting flood barriers. Or perhaps upstream, wherever this water is going to come from, it can be dammed and held back. You have a number of options. Or you can just get yourself to somewhere that's not going to be flooded. But either way, it would absorb your attention and you would be concerned with this one thing. How shall I escape? And that's precisely what the author of these verses is concerned with. Because he says in the third verse, how shall we escape if we ignore such great salvation? So let me ask you then, what's your escape plan is it your escape plan or is it God's escape plan now what I want you to notice in these verses is that you in fact have two options not several like Basildon Council would have if you were in this position you've got two, we've got two options We can pay more careful attention to what we have heard or we can ignore such a great salvation. Now we like to sort of conjure up the idea that we've got lots of options. We don't think it's a question of two. You know, for example, when it comes to religion, well, you can be a Christian, you can be an atheist if you want, you can be a Muslim, you know, you can be a Buddhist, all these kind of things, and all these things have to be respected. And the values that these religions teach all have to, you know, they have to find their way into the school curriculum and so on and be, be taught to children so they understand. And we have lots of options. And what we're interested is in what works for you. Well, 
I have to tell you in the Bible, there is very little interest in what works for you. In the Bible, there is just interest in what is true. But we've sort of lost that, haven't we? At a, a reception in Downing Street uh, in 2014, David Cameron was uh, keen to position himself uh, as far as truth and so on is concerned. He, was, he, he gave this reception for senior people in the Church of England. And he, uh, he wanted to encourage them to get on board with the government's agenda in, in terms of improving society, as he saw it. And so he wanted to position himself, and he was very clear about his own position. He said, I'm a sort of fairly typical member of the Church of England. He said, I'm not that regular in attendance, and I don't really know much about the details of what they say. But, you know, that's, that's okay. And a bit later on in the same speech, he said, you know, he said, some people criticise the Church of England because it's woolly. Well, he said, I, I don't, I'm not interested in purity and dogmatism and all those things. He said, I like it's woolly. Well, because he does. It doesn't upset him or disturb him or give him any bad news. And he said, it's a good thing, it's woolly, uh, and it, it sort of can incorporate everybody, whatever they believe, really. And a lot of people would listen to say that and say, yeah, good bloke, Dave. Yeah, that's, that's me, really, as well. You know, I might go to church at Christmas, if I go to there's a wedding or, or a christening or something like that. And, uh, and, you know, I wouldn't want to be without God and things that I've learned, but I don't take it seriously. You know, I don't think about it every day. Well, you see, the position in the scriptures is that if you don't give them more earnest heed, and you certainly can't describe that as giving earnest heed to anything, if you don't give them more earnest heed to what Jesus said, you are ignoring salvation. Now, you'll probably come back and say, no, no, I'm not ignoring it. I'm just not being obsessed with it. Well, the Bible disagrees with you. If you don't take the words of Christ seriously, you are ignoring them. They're like the flood warnings. Like coronavirus warnings, perhaps. I don't know how you felt, you know, over this past year or two years. I must admit, I felt fairly relaxed, really. I trust in God. I, I, I read verses in the Bible that tell me he loves me and he governs everything that comes to me. What if you die? Well, I'm going to die anyway one day. I'm going to, you know, all this talk about we've saved all these lives. I, there's not a single life being saved. Lots of lives have been extended, but they haven't been saved. Everybody who didn't get coronavirus is going to die of something. So, how have you felt about that? 
But a lot of people, of course, have taken it tremendously seriously. Some people haven't gone out of their house. Some people have listened, you know, to all the regulations and followed them very carefully. Some people still aren't going out of their house. Very careful about hand washing. I'm actually quite careful about hand sanitising. That's about all, really. I've got a mask here with me in case you're all wearing them. But you're not, thankfully, so mine's in my pocket as well. And I'm very happy. I'm very happy about that. And it, in our church, I have to say, you know, apart from hand sanitising, we're not doing anything now. We're, we're, we're like you. We're standing up and singing. I was in a church recently. When we stood up to sing, we had to put, put our masks on and then take them off for other times in the services. So, you know, there's a bit of uncertainty and there's no sort of clarity, really, on what everybody should be doing, but we're all doing what we think is the appropriate thing to do. And we may find it's actually not as appropriate as we thought it was. That could happen as well, couldn't it? So we'll, we have to think things through. We have to respond appropriately. And the way to respond appropriately to the words of Jesus is to believe in him with all your heart, to trust him, to trust what he did on the cross when he died, to believe that your only hope of any relationship with God and of being saved is because of Christ, And to live that out in life, in a life of obedience and trust and acceptance of things that we wouldn't choose to experience. Learning, you know, to, to give these things back to God, even when they're great disappointments to ourselves. So these are the two alternatives. And in fact, this is what you find in the Bible. One of the well-known passages in the Bible, or well-known by all sorts of people, Sermon on the Mount, it's wonderful. People tell you, you know, if you could put the Beatitudes, poor in spirit, all that kind of thing, put those into practice, life would be so much better. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said there are two ways. There are two gates. There are two ways. And the, the, all of this is illustrated by two builders. There are two outcomes. And all of this is illustrated at the end by two builders. One who built on the rock and one who built on the sand. The one who built on the rock is the one who hears my words and takes them seriously. And everybody else builds on sand. So this idea that we have, you know, that, that we can be woolly and this might be true for you and that might be true for me and all those kind of things, it's wrong. It's wrong. And there's no support for it in the Bible. And there's certainly no support for it in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, people used to understand this. Paul, when uh, he wrote to the church at Rome, he wrote to them about uh, people who turned away from God and he said that they, uh, they, f they followed the lie. That's funny, isn't it? Paul writes about it. They followed the lie. 
What is the lie? Is there, a, is there one lie that if you believe it, it damns you? And then when he wrote to the church at Thessalonica, he wrote about this again. He says, he's talking about the coming of the, 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 what we, the person who is the Antichrist. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. And all ways that, uh, and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. Now, what was Paul thinking of here? Is there, is there one particular lie? In fact, what Paul was doing, he was drawing on a way that people had thought and written for hundreds of years, even before he lived. In particular, in one of the great empires that, that preceded the Roman Empire was the Persian Empire. And we read about the Persian Empire in the Bible, particularly in the book of Daniel. And we read about one of the rulers of the Persian Empire called Darius the Mede. And Darius had a lot to say about the lie because the Persians used to believe that their empire was kind of the, was, was set up by the gods. They didn't believe in the God of the Bible, but they believed it was set up by the gods that they did believe in, and particularly with one of them. And if people rebelled against their empire, they used to say they believed the lie. Because the truth for them was that the Persians should rule in this empire. And that's what they used to say. This emperor, this ruler, Darius, crushed uh, a rebellion in a, uh, from a group of people called the, Scythian, the Scythians. And when he, they used to sort of put up these inscriptions that get discovered by archaeologists now about all their great works and what they'd achieved and so on. And one of the things he said about the Scythians after he crushed their rebellion, he said they were vulnerable, these Scythians, to the lie. That's why they rebelled. They wouldn't have rebelled. They would have accepted that, you know, the Persian god was the big god and that the Persian rulers were the proper rulers and anything outside of that way of thinking was the lie. And he left some advice for his successors. He says, you who shall be king hereafter, be firmly on your guard against the lie. The man who shall be a follower of the lie, punish him well. So this was the sort of thought that was established that Paul was picking up on. He says there is God's way and everything outside of God's way is the lie. And this writer to the Hebrews would certainly have agreed with that. We give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard or we ignore great salvation. Now how do we know how great this salvation is? Well we know first of all because of the person who announced it. Jesus. God 
who spoke in times past in different ways to our fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. His Son is the radiance of his glory. What's the radiance? Well, look around this building. You've got radiators. In the winter, they get warm. Some get warmer than others. And you sit there and you get warm too. Because the heat is radiated. The heat is the radiance coming off from the radiators. Well, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. Jesus is from God himself. In fact, he is a person of the Godhead. He is the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact image or the exact representation of his being. And he does God things. He sustains all things by the power of his word. Only God can do that. Jesus really is God. And he told us the things that we read in the Bible. And so if we ignore them, we're ignoring him. God has spoken to you. And if you ignore what God has said, what can you expect? How can you escape? And this is the author's main point with which he opens this epistle, that Jesus is God. Listen to him. But also what about the historical precedent? Because God has spoken before, like he says, in times past, through the prophets and so on. The message spoken by angels, what is that? Well, that's actually what we call the Ten Commandments and the Old Testament law. You know, where did the Ten Commandments come from? Well, Moses went up to Mount Sinai, and on the top was God. But there were a lot more personal beings there than God and Moses. There were thousands upon thousands, and probably millions, actually, of angels, because God is a mighty commander, and he travels with his retinue. When Moses spoke about it, Deuteronomy chapter 33, not long before he died, he said, the Lord came from Sinai and dawned over them, over the Israelites from Seir. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came with myriads. That's thousands of thousands. And a thousand thousand is a million. So that's millions of holy ones. They're the angels. In Psalm 68, David refers to God being accompanied by millions of angels. The chariots of God are tens of thousands and thousands of thousands. The Lord has come from Sinai into his sanctuary, but he didn't come on his own. And in Acts chapter 7 and in Galatians chapter 3, we read about the law that was put into effect through angels. So the Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments, this is what God has spoken. And as the writer says here, if we ignore the message that was spoken by angels, and we can see the consequences of ignoring that message, when we read the Old Testament, we can see how God blessed the Israelites when they were obedient, and how he punished them when they were disobedient. You, you don't get away with disobeying God's law. 
How shall we escape? We're not being spoken to by millions of angels. We're being spoken to by the person of God himself in the person of his son. How shall we escape if we ignore him? And how do we know that what Jesus said was actually God's words? Well, what did Nicodemus say to Jesus when he came to him by night in John chapter 3? We know you've come from God because no one can do these works that you do unless God be with him. But what about the apostles? Were they they faithfully teaching what Jesus had taught them? They were. How do we know that? Again, we read it here. God testified to it. God testified to what they were saying, this confirmation of the words of Christ. God testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. You can read about that too in your Bible how the Holy Spirit accompanied those first preachers and how they were given immense powers and they could work miracles and so on. And God distributed those gifts through them to others. You can see when you read in the Acts of the Apostles that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given also to others. That they were, God testified to their genuineness by these wonderful things that he did through them. And we stand in the, in the tradition of listening to them. So if we're ignoring this salvation, we're ignoring Christ. We are ignoring the example of what happens when you ignore the law that was given through angels. And we ignore, we're ignoring all the testimony that God gave to the apostles and their truthfulness. So what are you doing? Are you paying careful heed to what you've heard? Are you paying careful heed to me this morning? Are you paying careful heed to the gospel that's preached here? Are you listening to that carefully? Are you going away and thinking, right, what did God say to me today at that service? How does his word speak to me? Yeah, I hear hear people up here, they're saying, I've got to give my life to Christ. I've got to be baptized. I've got to become a member of this church. And I've got to be, I've got to take on all the obligations that go with that because I've got to give my life to Christ. And I've got to love God with all my heart and my soul and my mind and my strength. Is that you? Or does David Cameron speak for you as well? David Cameron will not avoid the flood. He will not escape unless he becomes a Christian between now and when he dies. Don't share his fate. Listen. Earnestly. Respond believingly. Give your life, your everything about you, give it to Christ. Because that was what the apostles said. 
There's one thing about this flood I haven't mentioned. The, the, the particular picture which is used here of the flood is that it is a flood in which you need not die because in the flood are things you can grab hold of. It's possible not to be carried away because there are things and you can get hold of them and they, they will save you. There are safe things to hold on to. There are things that will get you through it and out the other side. And if we ignore salvation, we can, we can have it all around us, like we're in a flood with things that are buoyant, but we won't trust them, we won't climb on them. There is salvation in Christ. What a tragedy that you should know that fact and go to hell what an absolute tragedy it's unnecessary you need not die in this flood you have to go through it we'll all have to go through it but it need not kill you if you hold on to Christ who will save you